Hey, and welcome to Things Worth Learning. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer, and this is a show where a curious computer programmer, that's me, interviews fascinating people about their passions. My guest today is Evan Yu, the creator of the JavaScript frameworks Vue.js and Vite. Evan, would you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself, whether it's your personal or your professional life? Hi, my name is Evan Yu, and I'm a full-time independent open source developer. Yeah, I currently live in Singapore, I have two kids, and I work for myself, so um, really enjoying this lifestyle right now. I love that. And that's, you know, we'll get there a little bit more, but I do want to say, like, let's say that somebody who's listening, because this is not an entirely technical audience, has never mm -hmm. heard of open source before. What does it mean okay. to be an open source developer versus to, like, work at, you know, a closed source or a company or whatever else? Like, what's the difference between, you know, and we'll talk about this more later, but, like, the basic difference, how you describe mm -hmm. these people. Sure. So, yeah, interestingly, so I, I'm a programmer, right? I write software. Mm -hmm. The difference from commercial software is that I don't sell the things I write. Uh, all the right. code that I write is open and free. Anyone can access it. Anyone can use it. There's no barrier at all. So yeah. it's like all completely free. So, yeah. uh, But uh, somehow I managed somehow. to find ways to <laughs> make a living out of it. <laughs> Yep, and, which we'll yep. talk about more in a second. That's for sure. But yeah, I just want to yep. make sure. So when some, when he says full stack, he, full stack, we're saying a, a whole bunch of different types of technologies, all being written by Evan and a group of other people, all being given away for free. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But before we go there, can you tell me? Do you have any sort of life mantra or phrase or idea that you'd like to live your life by? I guess I don't have a specific motto or mantra, but I just want to live by doing things that I really enjoy doing. So. Mm -hmm. That's the go. basic rule that I've been following. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the simple one's the best one. And yeah. it's weird that that can be countercultural, like that what you just said is not common. So, you know, <laughs> good on it. I love it. Wow. So, you know, that kind of like the primary topic of this thing is, is to give you the chance to talk about one particular topic. So could you introduce mm -hmm. for us today? What are we actually going to be talking about today? Yeah, so I want to talk about this sort of, um, I guess it, it's more like a combination of two things. One is working on open source and mm -hmm. somehow make a living out of it. And two is just in general being self-employed and being able to work from anywhere. I guess not being physically tied to a specific location mm -hmm. or an employer mm -hmm. or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's a ton of fun stuff we can talk about there, but let's start for, again, like we started with what is open source. So now let's start with the mm -hmm. obvious first question, which is if you're giving it all away, how are you actually getting paid? So can we just start there? What does that actually look like for you? Sure. So there are, in the beginning, right, when I created the projects that I work on, I never thought about making money out of them. These projects started as side projects when I was still uh, working full time. But over time, it got so popular, right? When you have... I guess in the age of with, with the internet, like when you have something that attracts an audience, mm -hmm. like literally anything that attracts an audience, you can turn it into an asset that mm -hmm. generates income. So that's yeah. the rule of thumb, right? If you think about these like TikTok influencers, right? Yeah. <laughs> How they make money is they convert all these audience, all this traffic into mm -hmm. some sort of money. So the same with open source, there are different ways of making money out of open source. There are like people starting companies, there are successful companies built on top of open source, but the way they typically make money is they sell services mm -hmm. on top of the free product that they provide, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, these enterprise, they use some free software, but then they realize, okay, like when there's a problem, we can't solve it ourselves. So they pay 
the people who created that software to yeah. provide service for them. So I thought about that in the beginning, quickly realized that's not the kind of thing I want to do because providing service, selling service is labor intensive and you either need to spend time yourself doing that or you need to then hire a lot of people and manage yep. them to Got do that, whole team, yeah. which is completely not what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate managing people. I don't uh -huh. want to be a boss. Mm -hmm. I don't want to run a company. So I want this sort of more passive sort mm. of income, something that I don't have to constantly be trading my time for. Then I th thought about sponsorships, right? The proposition is pretty simple. I created a piece of useful software and mm -hmm. companies are building revenue generating products with it. Yeah. And if I don't, I don't have enough money to keep working on it, the project will be abandoned and yeah. your product will suffer as a result. Yep. So... Yeah. If your company is using the software that I wrote to build commercial products, then it makes sense for you to at least make sure it's sustainable, mm -hmm. right? It's almost as if a bunch of companies are crowdsourcing money to fund one guy to keep maintaining yeah. a common piece of infrastructure shared yeah. by these companies. Mm, right? So this kind of model in theory works. When you think about it, it totally makes sense, right? But it's a, a bit difficult in the open source world because the direct consumer of open source software, these developers, mm -hmm. are yes. usually not the people who can make the call in yep. their companies, right? Yep. They use your software because it's free, but mm -hmm. when they when it comes to time to convince their boss to say, okay, we should sponsor this software, it's yeah. a different story, right? So that's yeah. the main bottleneck here. And in fact, to this day, this is still a really... You know, prominent problem in funding open source uh, is because this disconnection between the direct consumer of the open source software compared to the people who can make the decision to say, okay, we'll actually sponsor this project. It's easier when you say, okay, like we are actually, we need to actually pay for a service. Right. But it's, it's much more difficult to go to your boss and say, okay, like we're using this piece of free software, but we should still give it money. Yeah, it works fine. You don't have to pay money for it to work, and you should pay money anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. So, I think the, the economical model, like, works in theory, but, like, mm -hmm. in practice, there's a lot of uh, friction in mm -hmm. getting from a, converting a user to someone who's willing to, you know, a company that is willing to sponsor. Because yeah. from my experience, individual users, usually they don't, they can't really... Like the conversion rate of open source software sponsoring user is extremely, extremely low. So mm. Vue has probably over 1.7 million users worldwide wow. based on the yeah. stats that I collected a few months ago. But I have probably combined like three to 400 sponsors, wow. paying sponsors. That is a shockingly different number. <laughs> yeah, so individuals probably half of them mm -hmm. contribute very insignificant number yeah. uh, of the total amount. Most of it comes from, the, the big chunk of it comes from businesses. Mm -hmm. Businesses who are willing to sponsor $500, $1,000, $2,000, or even more, right? Yeah. These are the, the main players. However, because of the this sort of different disconnection that I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. typically sponsors are smaller companies where the developer either is the mm. boss themselves yeah. or yep. they have a really flat structure where the developer is able to convince the owner of the business yeah. to say, okay, this makes sense to sponsor it. 
or the yeah. owner, the business owner themselves are technical enough yes. to realize right. the value in it, right? So this makes the conversion rate extremely low. But somehow, when you have enough traffic, it will still work. Yeah. So that's the case for Vue because we have so many users. So mm -hmm. even only a small number of these businesses realize, okay, like we want to actually do this, right? They create enough sponsorship income for me to keep mm -hmm. working on you, right? So that's the main source of income. And mm. outside of that, there's also some other form of income, like people selling themes, okay. kind of like WordPress has this ecosystem, people selling WordPress themes. Yeah. So front-end frameworks have an ecosystem of people selling like ready-made front-end kits okay. or, right. or themes. It's almost like Tailwind selling uh, Tailwind UI. It's along the same lines. So there are a lot of people doing this on top of front-end frameworks too. So uh, we partner with them. Essentially, it's again, it's, it's traffic because we can like give them exposure by featuring their themes on our website. And then there's affiliation yeah. income. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, then we have education partners where like video course producers, they make courses, teach people about Vue. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, we have great documentation, but some people, a lot of people still prefer watching videos, right? Yeah, definitely. So it's similar to how Laravel partners with Laracast. Mm -hmm. And we have similar education providers who have subscription plans and they also kick back a, a part of their revenue back to Vue in order to support us. So this kind of partnerships is also really healthy because, you know, essentially when you have a large enough project, you create this sort of um, ecosystem where you yeah. start have people building their business mm -hmm. on top of the software that you wrote. And yeah. because you doing better means they are doing better. So right. they're willing to also kick back a part of their earnings back to you yeah. in order to, you know, so mm. it becomes a healthy circle. So yeah, so that's pretty much the gist of it. So it's a it's a combination of sponsorships, partnerships, you know, affiliation, ads a little bit as well. Yeah. And as you can see, most of these are really passive form of income, right? Yeah. So it's not like I have to keep sourcing new projects, hit right. deadlines or anything. When I think about like how do I make money, I always think about like what is the time cost of this? What is the mm -hmm. you know how passive it is? So yeah. I always try to prioritize income that is as passive as possible. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And, and especially because I assume that the majority of the money that's coming in is allowing you to do what you're doing. And so if yeah. you're consuming time that's being paid for to just try and get more money, like it's like, well, now I have to make enough money that I can pay for my time making the money exactly. and other people and it gets bigger and bigger, which is what you just yeah. said you didn't want to do. So Exactly, right? That's why sometimes when people ask, like, why don't you take some investment, start a company? Right. Mm -hmm. I feel that that distorts the incentive because I didn't create Vue to make money. I mean, in, in some way I am because I still need to make a living. Right. But yeah. the, the priority is I want to make enough money so that I can keep doing what I want to do. Yes. Not that do what I would not want to do in right. order to make in more order money. In order to make more money. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the goal is not the money. The goal is living the life yeah. you want to live and the money allows you to exactly. do that. Right? Exactly. 100%. Yeah. 
And that makes so much sense. And, and for those who haven't kind of been in this world before, a lot of people think, oh, I like doing this thing I'm doing. And this thing could be programming or whatever else. I'm going to start a business doing that thing. And the first advice I always give, which you clearly already know, is once you start a business doing it, you're not doing it anymore. You're now running a business and you're doing taxes and you're employing people and you're managing yep. and you're hiring whatever. And so then it has to yeah. get big enough until one day, maybe eventually you can go back and do the thing that you were doing in the first place. <laughs> Just do the thing. So I completely yeah. understand where you're coming from. And I love that idea. So you talked about a whole bunch of different ways where Vue in particular is able to pull in money. And there's other ways of doing it that you've chosen not to do. When we talk about this one where we've got sponsorships, one of the things I've been thinking about for a while is what does it look like for me as a company owner to help encourage other company owners to understand this? And for example, like I own a consultancy, so I can encourage other consultancies to give money. Mm -hmm. But I also realize that I can encourage my clients and say, hey, client, you know, we just oh, built this thing for you. And it's a lot cheaper for you for to pay us to build it because we didn't have to rebuild Vue from mm -hmm. scratch. We didn't have to pay mm -hmm. to rebuild Laravel from scratch when we built this thing. So you just paid us a third or a fifth or a tenth of what you would have paid because of this mm -hmm. free thing. How can I do this? And so one of the things that's cool that I've been thinking about is that GitHub is trying to like make it easy for programmers to understand, like as a programmer, look at all my repos and figure out who's sponsoring. But now I'm realizing mm -hmm. like we really need to be able to make it so that a company can look at their one repo, right? And maybe this is a company mm -hmm. who doesn't know and say, whose work is this particular plot project relying on? And how can mm -hmm. I therefore like recognize that? And so I'm very, you've got my brain spinning. I'm, I don't know if there's anything that, that sparks any conversation for you, but I just want you to know that mm -hmm. I'm like really fascinated to think about this idea. Yeah, now mm -hmm. so because i would love for any yeah. client that i ever have that i put on view to then go consider sponsoring you you know i guess for your client to sponsor view it's going to be a difficult sell because for them it's there's just like so many intermediates in there mm -hmm. and this sort of idea has been kicked around in open source developers for a while because like how can we you know there are tools for you to programmatically like check in the project like in your dependencies like how much mm -hmm. code belongs to which developer. But then there's this problem of like how far you want to trickle it down. And like in the end, like say a company say, I want to like donate $1,000 for all the dependencies in my project. Yeah. And maybe there will be a thousand authors each getting $1. <laughs> like the logistic cost of this is extremely high. Like yeah, you yeah. need a very efficient infrastructure mm -hmm. for this to actually work. And it needs to be, be Real at really high scale. Otherwise, like if you do like one off or two off, it's just like there's so much friction. It's not even in worth there. it. Yeah, it's, it's not feasible. Point. Yeah, there are some platforms that are trying to do that. I mean, GitHub sponsors really already changed things a lot for for mm -hmm. a lot of people. I think the first step for GitHub sponsors is just kicking off this sort of developer to developer support system, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. like primarily right now it's it's developer to developers, but Slowly, businesses are getting a hand of it. They're realizing, okay, like we can use GitHub sponsors as a way to first support the open source projects that we use and second, get exposure for mm -hmm. the company themselves. Because you see, if you sponsor a lot of developers on GitHub, sponsors are displayed in people's profiles. Yeah. So basically, your company's logo will pop up everywhere on GitHub when yeah, people looking at people. other... You know, high-profile developers, they're like, oh, this company is sponsoring, sponsoring him. Oh, yeah. sponsoring him as well, sponsoring her as well. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's cool. It, it's sort of a, I guess there are, there are companies who are willing to try this kind of marketing strategy where, you mm -hmm. know, like it's relatively low cost because you can literally get on there just sponsoring like $10 a month. It's still yeah. something, right? Yeah, you're still on there. Yeah. yeah. That's really or, interesting. Yeah. Right. And, and we, we're seeing 
you know, other developers in the ecosystem, like the, another example comes to mind is Anthony Fu. I don't know if you've come through his work, but mm -hmm. yeah. Anthony has been extremely active in the Vue ecosystem and outside. Mm -hmm. He's created a lot of crazy projects. So uh, he's running a very successful personal campaign. So it's a that. little bit different from Vue because I primarily run it under uh, Vue and Veed. Basically, if mm -hmm. you want to support Vue and Veed, you're also supporting me. So Anthony is more like, I am just creating a bunch of crazy stuff. You yeah. can sponsor me as a person. And then when I come up with a new crazy idea, you get early access right. to the code yep. uh, before it's like it's in private beta or something. So if mm -hmm. you're a sponsor, you get to play with it early. And uh, if you're not sponsoring, you have to maybe wait a Good couple way. months before it becomes open source. And um, that, that leads me to a question I really wanted to ask you, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but mm -hmm. like, do you get people expecting that because they're sponsoring you, they now get something they weren't otherwise? And how have you thought about like, do I want to provide that? Or do I want to say, no, you're already getting the work. You're just saying thank you for the work I already sent. Like, what's that kind of relationship like? I try to make that extremely clear up front. Mm -hmm. So essentially, when you're sponsoring, there's no obligation for me to do anything special for you. If you want that, that becomes a service contract. It becomes right. a, a, I'm providing a service, but sponsorship right. is not a service. Got you're it. sponsoring for the work that I've already done or I, I'm currently doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to a couple of people who are trying to set up their tiers and each time. And for those who don't know, most of these sponsorship platforms, whether it's GitHub sponsors or Patreon or whatever else, allow you to sign up at like a $10 a month tier, a $50 a month tier yep. or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of them have kind of like, they're so used to that from Kickstarter. They just assume each tier must have increasing benefits. Exactly. It's like, or it could be just what you just described. You could just say, it's just thank you. And oh yeah. I and, mean, you know, there are still some tangible benefits. For example, you get your logo up on the yes, new website. Yeah. Right, so the, the more you sponsor, the more prominent and bigger your logo will be. So yeah. the more likely people will notice your sponsoring view. Uh, but yeah. that is the main thing. It's from a very return of investments perspective for the company. Supporting view is one aspect of it. A lot of companies do sponsor view just because of the exposure they want. Mm, interesting. They want people to see their logo on the view website. They mm. want people to click it and be curious, like, oh, what is this company doing? There's also something similar like Laravel does, like the partnership program, mm -hmm. right? Because sometimes there are people looking for agencies to provide service yeah. regarding a specific technology. They want someone trustworthy. What better than some, you know, an agency that's being endorsed by the technology's creator itself, right? Yeah, so yeah. Um, this kind of structure also is mutually beneficial because these agencies get leads. You get potentially generate more income then you get back part of it back to yeah. the project. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's really interesting hearing you talk about these mutually beneficial relationships between companies and Vue because one of the ways of doing it is these consultancies that use Vue, but we've also talked a little bit about like the fact that there are companies whose actually con actual content depends on Vue. So they're even more dependent. Like if you're making a Vue yeah. website that teaches all about Vue, you're more dependent on Vue than a consultancy or a exactly. startup that could theoretically, if Vue exploded, you could theoretically rip out all the Vue code and replace it with something else. That would be a bummer, but it's possible. But some of these other companies are literally, their existence is dependent entirely on it. And so I'd love kind of the yeah. point that you're making that in some places, there's a little bit of this reciprocity where they're saying, look, I understand that my entire thing is dependent on you. Of course, I'm going to yep. kick a little back, but it's maybe a little bit harder to make that justification to a company that's like, oh, well, it's just part of my tech stack, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. all kind of part of the dance that you have to do. And then like you were yeah. mentioning, you, so you're mentioning the thing about dependencies. So for those who aren't familiar, 
open source tools almost always build on other open source tools, right? So like Vue is not all just Vue code. It also pull, pulls in other dependencies. So even if someone were to say, my website is only my code and Vue and that's it, there would still be a whole bunch of other stuff that Vue is relying on. So that's kind of where some of the complexity comes from. Is that, that what you're talking about with like how far down in the dependency tree? So if you're only using Vue directly in the browser, Vue actually is uh, dependency free. It's completely Is it Vue really? Code. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, but if you're, say, using some build tools, like yeah. uh, a tool chain, uh, so the tool chain that we provide do pull in a lot of dependencies. Yeah. But that's um, cool. That, so, so, so Vue yeah. itself, just the code that's running, has it's not pulling in LeftPad or any of those other JavaScript frameworks. No, it's no, all no, its no, own no. custom stuff. Yeah, because that's, that's cool. going to lead to a lot of bloat. So typically, framework figured, yeah. authors are really peculiar about whether we pulling third-party dependencies. Usually, like even for the small utilities, we try to write our own to be yeah, as compact, okay. as, as efficient as possible. So uh, that's something that's really interesting because yeah. that's a JavaScript thing. And in, in PHP world, we're like, eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Because exactly, it's living right? on the server, right? So we don't care about yeah. those things. Yeah, the thing is, like in NPM, people constantly complain about how huge those dependencies are, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because when you, when you think, okay, this runs on the server, you don't care about the size, and suddenly yeah. you have... A dependency you just install it and you're pulling like several megabytes on disk but a lot of people don't realize in certain projects like npm also works for front end so they install right. stuff from the front end and suddenly you're pulling yeah. several <laughs> megabytes of extra javascript in your browser Did not need to be there yep <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and i think that's really helpful just a note to point out you particularly have a reputation and for those who don't know evan i just want to kind of hype him up a little you have a reputation for looking at every tiny little detail and making it perform optimally and load, you know, like you and I actually just had a conversation on Twitter like a, a year ago where I gave a talk about how like, I was, this talk was sort of like, hey, I had this yeah. like load time issue with Vue. Mm -hmm. And I feel like three days later, you're like, hey, here's a new version of Vue that doesn't have that problem. Here's why it was there in the first place. And it was just, I was just like blown away at the, and I just saw you were just tweeting about it just a couple of days ago. And I know that's not what we're talking about today on the podcast, yeah. but like the level of attention that you put in, you know what's going on at the browser level, you know what's going on in like the other frameworks that are going on. You know every single line of code, and you're like reworking these like really core ideas around like, again, this is super nerdy for those of y'all who aren't nerd, but like the, the shadow dominoes kind of stuff. So it's just to note that like you are actively daily doing work that helps Vue continue to grow that we would all be losing out if you weren't here doing. It's not like it's one of these things where it's like, oh, well, it's written. And now like basically this money yeah. is supporting you kind of like going swimming every day or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's work to be done continually yeah. in this world. Yeah, there's always so much work. Actually, when you have a really popular open source project, just like I've pretty much given up cashing up on all the issues because <laughs> just, you know, right. the the sheer amount of issues coming in every day, just triaging the, them, just looking at them can yeah. take, you know, one or two hours, hours every probably. day yeah. other than just working on them. So, so it's like... Yeah. It's kind of like when you work for a company, every morning you wake up, you're like, oh, there's so many new emails, <laughs> right? So for an open source developer, it's like every morning you, you wake up and you pray, okay, like how many issues we got today? Uh, and you're like, if you got an empty inbox, that's like, that literally ha haven't happened in a few years. But yeah. like, if you that ever happens, wrong. I'm like, yeah, is like, is my email not working today or exactly. something? <laughs> And for those who don't know, issues in the open source world basically means somebody came in and said, I've got 
a problem. I've got an issue of some sort. And it could be there's a real bug. It could be I think there's a bug, but it turns out it's actually my fault, but I need somebody to walk me through that. Sometimes it's also like, hey, here's a new feature I'd want. So there's all of these. It's basically the primary way that your consumers of your code basically are communicating with you, right? Exactly. And for a very long time, I think when GitHub was initially created, this idea of putting your open source code out there and anyone can just come by and open an issue and mm-hmm. like report something like some you don't even need to be reporting something to open an issue you can literally just say like your work is great or yeah. your work is piece of crap <laughs> like there's no barrier whatsoever for people yeah. to open an issue and that created problem when your project is so high visibility like mm-hmm. there could be literally like 20 30 issues created every single day to the point where like some of our us earlier had to create custom solutions where like we created bots to like mm-hmm. filter the issues and if it doesn't like follow a certain format we'll just like comment and say close okay down, like you yeah. need to fill this form we'll close it now but it could come back with the correct info or something like yeah. when your project is small right you you typically like when you get an issue you're like okay you're like, someone oh is God. actually using my software <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, <laughs> You're like, okay, like, what's your problem? Like, let's figure uh-huh. it out. And so you like yeah. go back and forth until you figure yeah. something out. Let's spend three hours pair programming on this. <laughs> yeah, like when you realize right. you have to do this for 30 people every day. Yes. Okay, this that's, is not sustainable. That's not sustainable. Right? <laughs> so yeah. uh, one, one big thing like we realized, I realized personally is like you need to set a boundary. Also, you need to realize like it's not a typical customer provider relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why I set up this whole sponsorship thing so that, you know, we don't have a direct like if you open the issue, I must answer you like in 24 hours or something like that. Right. Because you paid me at this tier or whatever. Yeah. 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 Right. Because that would create a really weird incentive and that would become really toxic for my life. And then I would just be caught up in tickets all day which is exactly the, the kind of support work that I want to avoid. Do you tend to feel, and I, I don't want to ask you to trash talk your consumers at all, but do you, yeah. uh, consumers, users, do you experience like a, a sense of entitlement at times from people where they like, that you're beholden to help them purely because they're on the internet asking open up an issue? Or do you feel like that's something that doesn't happen that much? It happens once in a while. It's not very often now, like after we set up this requirement form. So the requirement form, we try to, First, we come up with a paragraph like, okay, why do you need to use this? Mm-hmm. Right? Then we talk about, okay, maintaining popular open source, source software is a lot of work. We have limited bandwidth. And mm-hmm. if we you know, allow anyone to open any issue every day, like there's just no way we'll ever do any work. Right. So in order to help us and help you, please you know, fill out this form, provide accurate information and all that, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. typically when, when people read that, they kind of go down and realize, okay, like there's, I actually need to figure out some of this part of problem myself. Yes. And it makes it more like they try to work with you to figure out mm. what's wrong rather yeah. than coming up with a support ticket like, hey, something's not working. Help me figure it out. Yes. Right? That's a uh, huge distinction. Yeah. Right. So that kind mm. of filters out a lot of this sort of um, people who, who are just, who want to, so I, I can understand because like, especially for beginners, when you use a new piece of software and it's not working, you'll be frustrated and you'll be like, like, this is crap. I just yeah. want to go there and vent. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it does happen. But issue, if you don't set a barrier, you don't, you don't sort of filter it down, it's just not going to be sustainable for the maintainer. Yeah. And GitHub realized that. So we've been asking, a lot of us have been asking for this feature for a very long time and they just 
finally shipped it a while ago, like allowing you to create required form fields for mm -hmm. creating new issues. Yeah. And it's been like, what, two to three years after we've been using our custom solutions? <laughs> yes, yeah. I've done the issue templates, but I don't think that the templates alone are that. It sounds like this is something more than what I'm using that I haven't followed. Yeah, it's, it's actually... new. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So that allows you to basically structure the feedback you're getting from people in a way that both helps it be a yep. little bit more helpful, but also you can use it to encourage them to have done more of that work on their own effectively. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the biggest difference is you can now require certain fields mm -hmm. instead of just a template because like sometimes people would just like willfully ignore just it. Delete everything out of the template and just yeah, exactly. They want anyway. Yep. Yeah. No, that's super helpful. So you talked a little bit about how as an open source maintainer that you don't work for somebody else. You work for, for yourself, but in a way that I work for myself and I also have a whole bunch of employees that does not, does not give me the same level of freedom that you have that you working for yourself mm -hmm. looks like. So can you talk to me a little bit about like what is the life? Because you said, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want to have this kind of freedom to live this kind of life. What is the life that you have been afforded that you're able to create for yourself as a result of having this sort of work that you weren't able mm -hmm. to do when you were an employee? And can you tell me a little bit kind of like the experience of gaining that life and what does that look like, you know, making that happen for yourself? Sure. So the first important thing is you're not physically tied to a specific area. So I just moved from United States to Singapore mm -hmm. last year bringing the whole family over, right? Yeah. Without ever thinking about job or income. Mm, like the, cool. the decision is solely because we want to uh, move into a more city, more urban area with a yeah. tighter cultural connection to the family. And I can prioritize the things that that's more about life rather than mm. work. Because after I moved here, work did not change. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at all. So essentially, I get like global pay. I can literally move anywhere in the world that I want. I can still yeah. work the same way that I work today mm -hmm. and make the same amount of money. You need an internet so, connection and a power cord, basically. Oh, uh, yeah, I do need internet connection. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's like, pretty, the pretty broad options, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say if, if I'm, I'm single, I, I'll probably be a digital nomad, right? Yeah. Yeah, me too. But even with family, I still get really high mobility to mm -hmm. be able to live in any city that I prefer, like that I think cool. is better for my family or my kids. Right? Mm -hmm. That's really important for me because I feel like this sort of freedom of being able to being able to prioritize what yeah. you think is important for your family, for your life, rather than think about okay, like I can only find this level of paying job in this specific yes. area. So yep. I have to stick here. Yeah. I want to live near my family, but I can't. I want to live near this ocean, but I can't. I want to live whatever, but yeah. I can't because there's not good. And I've I've been there before. I've definitely and I'm sure you yeah. have as well where you say, "Oh, well, I need to stay here where I can get the type of paying job I want." And just imagining uprooting that dependency and just saying, "I can live literally whatever I want and do my job." That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Do you also get schedule flexibility like is your day more yep. free to like, "Oh, the kids are coming home from school. I'll just dip out for 2 hours and go play with them or whatever." That's exactly what I do. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. So I got a lot more freedom of uh, being able to spend more time with kids. It's funny because after we moved here, my daughter is going to a half day daycare. Mm -hmm. So me and my wife drive to pick her up every day. That's and awesome. typically there's um, there are other parents there picking their kids up. And usually there's only one parent there. So mm -hmm. another mom saw us and like, Oh, you both come pick her up every day. <laughs> and we're like, yeah. And they're yeah, like, that's, that's pretty great. so cute. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. 
That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it is like if you were to find the time that a parent works during the day, it wouldn't be nine to five, like to be present and kind of connected to their kids. It would be yeah. bits and blips here and there. Like my kids are old enough that they're in school. So I would be completely with them and then I would work the hours they're at school. And this is actually, mm-hmm. this is what I do because I have similar flexibility, but like I'm completely with them and then they get home from school and then I'm just with them and then I put them to bed and then I finish my work in that evening because that's what makes sense as a parent, right? But a lot of people yep. don't have that same level of flexibility. So yeah, I, I totally hear that. Yeah, not just the day schedule, but also I tend to find myself, especially I guess for freelancers or remote workers, typically I don't find myself fit to the sort of be on a sprint forever kind of mode, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? When I'm working on something, if I'm uh, I, I'm this kind of I have these up and down productive cycles over the yes. year. Amen. In a few months, I'm like, I'm working on this great thing. I want to push yeah. for it every single yeah. day until I'm I'm done with it. And then yeah. I feel like, oh, I'm exhausted. I want to take a break. Yeah, I can literally just like take a whole week off without letting anyone know. And then I come back, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've I've experienced burnout, or uh, sometimes you just there are other things happening in your life, which is you know makes you feel like okay, I'm not productive at all. So, okay, let's just take some time off uh, because there's no one saying, okay, you need to check in nine to five every day. You need to have a weekly report every week. It's a different mindset. It's more about prioritizing. Like you can basically cater to your own productivity cycle. If Mm -hmm. I feel productive, I can work more. If I feel I'm down or, you know, burned out, I can, I can take some time off. I love that. And that's one of the cool things about that is that you know, the whole idea of I don't have a boss is something that people love. But I think in the end, like not having a boss doesn't mean you don't have clients in a lot of contexts. So like, I don't have a boss, but I have clients that end up paying the bills. And so I still have to consider them and their needs. Whereas I think in your setting, you have like the person who ultimately decides what success looks like for you is you. And like, in theory, like you could slack off enough that your sponsors might start saying like, Hey, whatever. So there's, but that's such a distant thing. Nobody's going to do that on a week by week basis, right? You didn't, yeah. well, nobody reasonable. You didn't respond to my issue this week. Therefore I'm going to, you know, within, within seven days, therefore I'm going to cancel your sponsorship. So like you, in yeah. the end, it feels like you are the one who defines the, whether you have done the work that you believe you should do. And yeah. those of us who are sponsoring you are not defining what you should do and holding you to it, but supporting you by believing that what you're doing is the right thing to be doing. Like I, yeah. I trust Evan, you to do the right thing. And I want to give him money to keep doing that. And if he, him knowing that means taking some time on and some time off, cool, whatever makes Evan you happy, I'm happy for. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the, the keyword is trust, right? Similar to how open source itself is, is a trust relationship. Because when you're not paying for something, right, there's always, you know, usually there's a catch to it. And with yeah. open source, the catch is you need to trust whoever is writing that code. Mm. Right? Mm, that's good. When you pick a piece of free software, you're basically saying, okay, I trust the person who's working on it to be a good steward in the long yeah, run. Yeah, that's a good word. That, like, for example, for Vue, like, Evan will stay responsible. He will keep thinking about how to make Vue better and not just go there and, you know, go to the beach every day or something yes. like that. And he wouldn't disappear off the face of the planet one day and leave it with no succession yeah, plan or whatever, Right. right? Yeah, because yeah, there's a track record of, you know, me doing this. I've been mm-hmm. doing this whole full time since 2016. So it's like been six years. Wow. wow. Uh, I can't believe it's been yeah. that long. Yeah. That's right? amazing, man. View is, uh, is almost eight years old. Can you believe <laughs> okay. that? I feel old. 
Like in two old. years, in two years, I'll be the author of a ten-year-old software. Like wow. it's it's like it's already making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally telling the someone the story of how we met, and I was like, yeah, I was Twitch live streaming when I was first learning Vue, and some guy whose name I didn't recognize showed up in my Twitch live stream and answered a question. I was like, thanks because I couldn't didn't know what it was and then I learned it was you and I'm like and but this was the earliest days this was like when it was like a yeah. little and in my mind when I was telling the story like literally yesterday because someone's like who's your podcast guest now tomorrow I was like Evan and I was telling the story as if it was two years ago in my brain and I was like and now you're telling me this I'm like that was not, that was not two years ago yeah oh my god well, that's so cool that it's been that much of your your recent life that you've been able to kind of like be making this space for yourself yeah. As you think about what you like about what you're doing and the freedom that it affords you, I mean, we talked a little bit about you, where you're living and the hours you're working, but are there any other aspects of this whole, like, the way that being a full-time open source maintainer changes your life? Less like your interaction with the sponsors or the code, but like how it mm -hmm. impacts you. Is there anything else there that you want to talk about? Sure. Yeah. It's important because you, open source is also about connection to people, right? Mm -hmm. It's not me completely working alone because we do have a team. Vue has a team, Vite has a team. It's a very interesting thing how you organize open source communities, teams, because as I said, I don't want to be a boss. I don't want to, mm, you know, mm -hmm. hire people and then tell them what to do. Uh, so that creates some challenge for scaling projects because, you know, in, in certain ways, companies is a structure that's created so that multiple people can work on the same thing mm. and be more efficient yeah. uh, collaborating. But open source is a different kind of relationship because a lot of our team members, they have their own full-time jobs. Some yeah. of them work uh, as freelancers and some of them are also trying to make sponsorship work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I try not to like act like a boss and tell them what to do. The, the kind of work I try to do is to sort of guide their interest. Like, what are you interested in contributing to the ecosystem? Right and uh, give feedback like say okay this is an area that's worth exploring and you're yeah. doing great work maybe we can work to push this a bit further or i can tell them like i believe this is becoming a really important part of you and like if you want to you can step up and take more responsibility you encourage yeah. them to grow into certain roles but you never force them to do mm -hmm. certain things it's that's all cool. always try to uh, either mentor or try to just guide them into yeah. and help them discover what they want to do instead of like saying, okay, like I'm a, I'm your boss now. Like you yeah, need to do this. That's what you're going to do. Yeah. Just like close all these issues by end of the day, something like that. Yeah. Like, That's cool. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the word mentor because I was thinking about the relationship between my employees and also I was, I, you know, I talked to Taylor Otwell who has actual employees doing a lot of this stuff versus mm -hmm. the people I mentor or the people who contribute to the open source repositories that I'm responsible for. And it is very different in that way. Like with the people I mentor, I say, here are things that would probably help for you to be learning and let's match up that with the things you're interested in. And maybe here's an open source repository that you could do this thing on if it's interesting to you. And I'll also guide it. Like they might be like, oh, this is really cool. I'm like, yeah, but that's not going to help you or that's not going to help them. So there's <laughs> guidance, but the guidance yeah. is in shaped down from what they're interested in in the first place versus yeah. shaped down from what I want you to be working on. And whereas yeah. with my employees, yeah. like again, they have space during their day. They've got 20% time every week to do what they want. But like when I'm telling you what to do and especially watching tape Taylor, like his interactions with his employees, he's like, well, those issues need to be closed and I'm paying you. Yeah. For you. So it's like a different set of, and it's not that anything wrong with yeah. Taylor's way of doing it at all, yeah, but it's yeah. just a very no, different working relationship. So it's cool for yeah. you to kind of call out that difference. 
Yeah. I mean, sometimes I do wish I have a real employee <laughs> where I can tell yeah. them like, hey, like we need to get this done by today. Yeah. But on the other hand, when I think about the overhead of it's also pressure for you to have people whose livelihood just depends on you. Right. Oh, yeah. Being an employer is not easy in a lot of ways. And I, I totally get that. Right. So I, I guess like sometimes I just I just try to be honest with myself. To, like if I start a company and hire a bunch of people. Will still be enjoying the things that I do? The answer is probably no, because like I literally have no interest in in thinking about payroll, thinking about tax benefits, and yep. and like when yep. you should get a raise, like how how we should like build a company culture. I mean, those are important things if you're starting company, but like those are not the things that I want to spend most of my time doing yep. every day. I still enjoy writing code. I still yeah. enjoy just like noodling every day about like okay how how can we make this faster in view how can we do this how can we do that yeah. and that's what I want to do that's what I enjoy and, and the setup that I've created for myself allows me to do that with enough freedom right mm, I like that sometimes there are there are still strings attached like I need to think about like okay like sometimes we need to talk to sponsors to to convince them this is actually yeah. something worth doing sometimes right. you need to like optimize certain things so that you know your ads. Get better returns, or like your listings get more visibility.、Mm -hmm. There will be this kind of、uh, small, tedious work, but、yeah. like compared to the major chunk of work, body of work that I'm doing, those overhead I'm okay with. But if that grows into actually managing people, yeah, I realize that's going to be turning my life into something that I don't enjoy as、yes. much.、Right? Yeah. And I really enjoy the fact that, like, what you're saying here is, I know the work I want to do, I know the work I don't want to do, I know where I thrive, I know what things are going to make me miserable. Because in the end, like, one of the benefits that comes from owning a company is, like, I have ADHD. I would I would be a really bad employee in a lot of settings, and I unknowingly created a space where there's people around me who are. Basically, protecting me from myself and making so like <laughs> Dave is the most Type A structured person of all time, and so he at Titan Type A structures things because I don't have that in my brain. So Dave does that while I think of wild ideas and write stuff and create code, right? So I am creating similar to you, creating the spaces for myself to thrive. And I, I, I had Adam Wathen on the podcast recently. We talked about some of these things、yeah. as well. Each of us is going to find like a different road to that, but I do think like the、yeah. agency that comes from being the one who makes the decisions in whatever shape or form. Means we can start by asking the question of like, where will I thrive, and how can I yeah, create the、exactly. environment in which I will thrive? And you know, you're not going to thrive running a company, right? You're like, I'm going <laughs>、yeah. to thrive writing code as much of the day as possible. Then great, that's awesome. So I love hearing that. Yeah. yeah. So I know we're really we're pretty far back on time. So before I ask you the last question, is there anything else you wanted to cover today that we didn't get to? I think that's it. Yeah, it's a、okay. really good conversation. Yeah, I loved it. And obviously, I say this all the time, but I could talk to you for another three hours. But I think we we have a relatively well capped off thing. So we're going to get to the last question, which is,、yeah. what insight or support did you either need or receive when you were younger that you hope people will give to others? Yeah, I I think we touched upon that just when you were summing up. Is、um, you need to figure out what kind of person you are and what kind of、uh, work. That you would thrive doing, right?、Mm -hmm. I realize like everybody needs to find a purpose that kind of you know that drives you doing the same thing over and over every day. And if it's a chore, it's it's going to wear you down, and you're gonna、mm -hmm. your life's gonna be miserable because every day you are fighting your instinct of not wanting to do something.、Mm -hmm. And you know, I have 
really bad procrastination when I was in school because I'm the kind of person who like if I do something that I really enjoy doing, I can be really productive. But if I'm forced to do something that I don't really don't want to do, yep, I'll just like drag on it all like forever. All right. Yep. So during school, I realized like this is just how who I am. Right. Yes. Yeah. Every one of us have similar problems. Like I've read all these books about like how to stop procrastination, <laughs> how to be more efficient. Do. <laughs> they don't help. You no, know, like this is just who I am. Exactly. So, like, yeah. Right. The hack yes. is, you know, putting yourself in a situation where your natural tendency just drives you forward. Right. So yes. that's what I've intentionally created for myself. I love that. You know, so that I can just do the things that I really want to do. And, and, that makes me so yeah. happy to hear, man. I love yeah. that. I, I forget what it's called. I think there's like a procrastination monkey. Have you ever seen this? There's a talk and then somebody made an animated version. I'll I'll find it, link it, send it to you in text and then also link yeah. it in the show notes. But it's basically this yeah. whole thing about how a lot of our brains deal with procrastination. But it and many yeah. other such things that I appreciate don't say, well, just stop it, right? Like, well, just yeah. do better. Just stop. like It's just like, this is who I am. And let's just build a system where I succeed because a lot of exactly. like, especially in the US and the West, I don't know about, you know, where you grew up, but like, there's a lot of this, like, you must fit this particular box. And if you're not fitting this box, you need to work harder to fit this box. And there's no permission given, yeah. like, maybe there's a box that fits me better that I can build myself, you know? Totally, so I love yeah. That. Think outside really of the cool. box and build your own yeah. box. Yeah, oh my God, I didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Evan, this was an absolute delight. If people are really excited to hear about you and they want to know more about what you're doing or they want to support you, what does it look like for them to follow or support you? You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Xi. That's my Chinese name, uh, Y-O-U-Y-U-X-I. And if you're on GitHub, my GitHub ID is yyx nine nine zero eight zero three. Okay, I probably need to think <laughs> of, the show notes. of better ideas. Yeah, link in the show notes. I think that was what uh, I think that's what your Twitch handle was when I didn't know who you were. I was like, thanks, yeah. yxzzz. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. But the important thing is, on GitHub, you can sponsor me directly. Mm -hmm. uh, if you use my work, that would be a great place to start. Yeah. Okay. Totally random connection. I don't know anything about Mandarin, but I saw that your English handle is Yo Yushi and then your your Chinese handle yeah. is Yushi Yo. Is that a yeah. like a surname, first name kind of situation, or is that a, is that a common yeah, switch or is a, that just you playing around with your name? It's just playing around because I registered the the Yo Yushi, which is surname first. Okay. But that account is using English. Yeah. And then uh, later on I registered another alt, which is using Chinese, but yeah. The main one is already taken. I don't want to like switch it over to confuse yeah. people. So I just yep. <laughs> use the the Western placement for the Chinese uh -huh, for that alt, one. Because it's the, like, hey, we're flipping it anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I figured it was like the surname situation, but I didn't realize it was it was flipped. So thank you. Yeah. And I was actually going to ask you to pronounce it because I want to say it right in my head every time I read it. And I know whatever okay. I was doing before you just said it out loud for me wasn't right. So thank you for that. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that was it. So Evan, thank you so much for taking some time, uh, especially in the middle yeah. of the morning. I know there's probably kids running around and everything like that. So I really appreciate you. And this was freaking fantastic, man. I really enjoyed it. Yep. I really enjoyed it too. Great talk. Awesome. And to the rest of y'all, yeah. until I see you next time, be good to each other.